0: We're continuing our study of the parable, so I invite you to take your Bible or access your device to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to glance at verse 1 for just a moment and then read the parable that's there. You know, sometimes preachers try to be real cute, and so I heard a funny story about a country preacher who used to go by and see one of the widow ladies who had a nice vegetable garden. He'd always show up about lunch because he knew he'd get a free vegetable lunch out of that. This particular day, he went by there, he walked up and down the roads of the garden. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones. No answer. He went to the back door and knocked on the door. And You know, the screen door was closed. And he, he thought somebody was home, but she, he didn't get any reply. So because pastors are so clever, he took his card, his pastoral card, and just wrote the scripture reference, Revelation 3.20, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and eat with him. Well, the problem was, what he did not know is that Mrs. Jones had been working in the garden and she had just come in and was getting ready to take a bath and she was completely naked. So she just hid behind a door and never said a word. But she got back to the pastor next Sunday. He found a note on his desk. and just said, it said Genesis 3.10, Mrs. Jones. Genesis 3.10 says, I heard the sound of your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> so if you have your Bible, let's look just a moment at Luke 14:1. 1. one Sabbath, when he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. And that's all we're going to read till we get a little bit further down to verse 7. They were watching him because there was a sick guy there, and they wanted to see if he was going to heal that sick man on the Sabbath, and he proceeded to do that. So they're getting really angry, ready to jump on him and criticize him. But then he said something profound. He said, which of you, if your son or an ox fell in a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't rescue him, And, and that just shut him up. And Jesus was good at silencing his critics. And then he's going to, remember the setting of this is at a banquet. That's when we read that. So look at verse 7. He told a parable. Actually, it's going to take a while for him to get to the parable, but we need to understand what he says to set it up. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may be invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, Hey, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you'll proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the lowest place so that when the the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up higher. You will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And then here is one of those life-changing principles that Jesus slips in. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said that to one who had invited him. Hey, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, sisters, relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. Now let me just stop and say, there's nothing wrong with having your friends and family over, but the only thing you get paid for that is they'll, they'll reciprocate and invite you back. Here's the point he's trying to make in verse 13. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, when you show hospitality to strangers, you are rewarded. And then he finally gets to the parable, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Dr. Obvious, that's true. Verse 16, then, he, then Jesus told him, a man was giving a large banquet. Now the parable begins. And invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. That's why I call this the parable of empty excuses. They all began to make excuses. First one said, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. And I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to go try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married. And therefore, I'm unable to come. Maybe his wife said, you can't go. He would have missed a great chance to miss his first home-cooked meal, though. Verse 21, So the servant came back and reported these things to the master. Then in anger, notice this, the master who invited all of them was angry. He was, In anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, "Go out into the highways and hedges and make them." The King Jesus says, "Compel them to come in so that my house may be filled, for I tell you not one of those who people who were invited will enjoy my banquet." And when you study a parable of Jesus, it's like peeling an onion, not because it makes you cry, like peeling an onion because there's different layers there. You have an outer layer, which is the plot of the story itself. And then you peel off a layer and you find what is the historical meaning to the audience to whom Jesus was telling it. Now, one of the things he was saying in this parable that doesn't apply to us was God is the Father who invited, first of all, the Jews to come to him and be his people, but they rejected his invitation. He came into his own, his own received him not. So then he said, okay, I'm going to open it up to the Gentiles. Thank God that's us, and we can be part of his kingdom. But there's also another layer below the historical layer, and that is the personal application. What is it saying to you and to me? Well, we we can break this uh, parable up into three parts. Here we go. First of all, let's look at the invitation. The invitation, come to the party. Now, this is probably a wedding feast because... Uh, when they threw wedding feasts back in Bible time, they really knew how to put on a party. They would last for days and days and days. In fact, I did a little research according to Google. The most expensive wedding in the last couple of years took place in Dubai where a man spent $44 million for a 12-day wedding party for his daughter. So guys, if you, if you marry an a daughter or have, you got it easier compared to that guy. So something about this parable people say, well, why? Why does he just invite them and say, come now? Well, no, back in those times, the custom was you would know the date of the party, the banquet, but you wouldn't know the exact time. And so you just knew what day it was, and then when all the food was ready, he'd send out a servant say, okay, everything is now ready, so come. And there's also an application to us, because one day we're going to be invited to a marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19, in heaven, and it's going to be the most beautiful experience that we've ever had here on earth. So what do we learn from the first part of this parable? Well, first thing is this. Knowing God is more like a feast than a funeral. I'm so glad uh, Jesus used this banquet, this party, as an illustration of what the Christian life is. Because there are a lot of people that think that the Christian life is just a sad, dull affair. In fact, I used to say that Baptists, we kind of perfected what I call the Baptist holy look. You know, kind of cross between... Acid indigestion and migraine headache. (laughs) Where did people get the idea that being a Christian was a sad experience? They got it from Christians who didn't have the joy of the Lord. I will say this is a joyous church. I love being here. But there are a lot of Christians out there. They they think the sadder you are, the more sour you are, the holier you are. One of my great uh, mentors and friends, he's in heaven now, Vance Havner. He wrote this. I could never understand why some Christians would go to a ball game on Saturday and yell like a bunch of wild Indians and then go to church the next day and sit like a bunch of wooden Indians. For you young people, warning, outdated cultural reference. Wooden Indians were outside of tobacco shops years ago. He continues, too many church services start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. You know, the church is not a funeral home. It's not a prison cell. It is a banquet hall where you are served and you get to serve the Lord. The other thing you learn everything is ready. You only have to come. In other words, he's, he provides the appetizers and we just provide the appetite. Now, my wife is a perfect southern lady. So, anytime we're invited into someone's home to eat, she always asks, What can I bring? And we'd want to do that too. But when it comes to salvation, nothing do I bring, only to the cross of Jesus do I cling. I, I think God's favorite word is the word, come. You know, there are a lot of religions around the world that people just are afraid of their deity. They try to get their deity to ignore them, or at least not punish them. So they spend all of their energy and time just trying not to get him mad. The B- God of the Bible is a God who opens his arms and says, come come. I love what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, actually in Genesis 7, after the ark was built, God literally said, come into the ark. It says enter in the CSB, but it's the word come. Come into the ark. He was there. He was their protection. And then it says over there in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, come Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I want everybody to take your Bible, wake up, take your Bible, turn to the very last page of your Bible. Revelation 22. I want you to notice what the last invitation in the entire Bible is. Revelation 22, verse 17. Both the Spirit and the bride say, what does it say? Let one who hears say what? Let the one who is thirsty, what is it? Come, let the one who desires take the water of life as a gift. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God is saying, come unto me. Now, not only was there the invitation, but number two, there was the insult. The insult, they said, excuse me. And the rich man was angry. I know there's sometimes you get invited to do something and you have a legitimate reason not to be there or not to do it. That's okay. But you know what an excuse is? An excuse, I call it this, it's the skin of the truth stuffed with a lie. That's what an excuse is. And there's all kinds of excuses that people give for why they did things or didn't do things. Sometimes they're pretty funny. These are actual accident reports filled out, turned in to the Metropolitan Insurance Company. Somebody wrote, an invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. Another person wrote, the pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. (laughs) Someone else said, I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had the accident. Someone else wrote, the other driver was all over the road, and I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. But my favorite is the last one, this guy wrote, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. (laughs) By the way, you can Google it. There's an excuse for everything. There's websites that are nothing but excuses to use. For, For instance, there's a website to tell you what excuse to use if you get caught asleep at work or in school. One of the best ones is this. Oh, they said that might happen at the blood bank. <laughs> but the very best one, if you're caught sleeping on, uh, at your job or at school, somebody wakes you up, just say, Amen. <laughs> so here are the excuses that these three individuals gave to the master who gave the banquet. Excuse number one, I got to take care of my stuff. In other words, I bought some land and I got to go check it out. Well, first of all, who, who buys property sight unseen? I mean, if, if you're going to buy some property and you haven't seen it, I have some oceanfront property and Amarillo I want to sell you right after the service. I mean, it's just an empty excuse. By the way, this was an evening banquet we know from the Word, and the second excuse was this, my job keeps me too busy. My job keeps me too busy. The uh, second guy said, I bought a team of oxen, yoke of oxen. I've got to go try them out. Or, you're going to do that at night? I mean, they have horns, but they don't have headlights. It's just an empty excuse. And you know, there are a lot of people, they let their work detract them from following God. They allow their work to keep them from growing as a Christian or being as active as they ought to be. Another one of my great mentors, he's in heaven now, was Dr. R.G. Lee. Anybody you know, I remember that name, Dr. R.G. Lee? Yeah, he was... Pastor at Bellevue in Memphis for many years. I got to meet him as a, high, a college student when he came and preached his famous sermon, Payday Sunday, First Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama, where I was on the uh, staff as a youth minister there. And we we're going to drive him back to Danley Field the next day for him to catch a flight back to Memphis. And so I just asked the pastor, can I ride along? And you know, I'll carry a suitcase because I just want to be in the presence of this great man of God. So we got there to Danley Field, and this was when you could walk out there to the airplane and everything, no no security. Uh, And uh, just before we got on the plane, Dr. Lee said to to Pastor Brother Jerry, he said, Brother Jerry, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, well, pray for us. And when you told Dr. Lee to pray for you, he prayed for you right then, no matter who was there and who was around. So with a line of people around us, he pulled both of us to our knees on the tarmac. Right beside this jet, Southern Airways jet, he starts praying for God. He had this kind of, kind of high-pitched kind of voice like that. And, uh, and then he put, put his arm around me. He said, what's your, what's your name, son? David. Lord, bless this young boy, David, and just use him to preach your word. And I had a lot of people pray for me through the decades, but I'll never forget the pressure of R.G. Lee' hand on my shoulder that day at the airport. But that's just to set up the real story. In his church in Memphis, Dr. Lee had a real active man who was a deacon, served on committees, never missed a Sunday, owned a hardware store. But pretty soon he had a chance to buy another hardware store, and another one, and another one before long. He had a chain of hardware stores throughout Memphis, had a corporate office, and began to miss more and more church. You know, he went down to maybe once a month, then it was almost like twice a year, And he just dropped out. And so one day, Dr. Lee went to the corporate office of this guy and walked right past the receptionist, right past the secretary, walked right into, his name was Bob, Bob's office, and said, Bob, I'm going to pray for you. Hello, Dr. Lee. He got down on his knees and he said, God, I pray that you'll cause Bob's business to flop, that he will lose all that he's earned, that he will never make another dime from these hardware stores. And then when he said, Amen, Bob said, Dr. Lee, I didn't really like that prayer. <laughs> Dr. Lee said, oh, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> but Dr. Lee said that later, Bob got back involved in the church. Ended up business was completely more blessed. He just hired somebody to do all the work for him. But that, that was one prayer. One guy had allowed his work. To get in the way of his faith. Here's excuse number three. My family takes up my time. In other words, the third person said, I just got married and I can't come. Well, there are, are going to be so many excuses that people give, not only invited to a banquet, but at the great white throne judgment. When, when those that don't know Jesus stand there and they say, Lord, Lord, in your name we cast out demons. In your name we did many wonderful things. They're going to come up with all of these excuses. And Jesus is going to say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Because you see, salvation is not what you do. It's who you know. And it's knowing Jesus Christ. And there's a powerful passage of Scripture over in Romans chapter 1 that talks about how even people who maybe have never heard the gospel or read the Bible, how they can't use an excuse to judgment day either. Because here's what it says in Romans one twenty: For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are, here it is, without excuse. Somebody might stand before God and say, well, I never had a missionary come and tell me or, or read the Bible. God said, well, didn't you just look around at creation and think there's somebody bigger than you did this? And, and the fact that God gave, gave everybody A conscience, a moral compass inside. And that that was given to us by God. And somebody could look at that and say, how do I even know? And how does every culture know just innately that it is wrong to take another life? Creation and conscience is enough for anybody to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you keep seeking God, seeking God, seeking God, then you find Jesus. Well, there are the invitation... The insult, and finally we end with this, the instructions. Invite everyone. So, in this parable, you may be one of different role players. You may be somebody who needs to accept God's invitation for eternal life. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But more than likely, most of you listening to me, your role and my role in this parable, we are the servant. We're the servant. And the master sends the servant out and says, go tell everybody here. And there's two things that we must do. God's servants should go and deliver the invitation. It's our job to go and tell people how much God loves them and invite them to join God's family. And we can do that across the street or we can do that across the globe. And then number two... God's servants should bring people into His house until it's full. He says, I want you to go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in until my house is full. I thank God this is an evangelistic church. Because if this church ever stops being evangelistic, if this church ever stops trying to lead people to Jesus Christ, you need to get a big banner and just put it right across North Street. It says, First Baptist NAC declares, Go to Hell Sunday. Because any time a church stops trying to reach people for Christ, you can't really call yourself a New Testament church. And now you know y'all are very active in missions here and around the world. I've always had a heart for missions. And in 1994, after the Iron Curt- Curtain fell, we took some trips over to the Crimea, Yalta. Uh, and we had the idea of taking a choir uh, and do some passing up Bibles, Russian Bibles. And so we enlisted a choir, mostly missionaries who could sing, not singers who were great at singing, but had a heart for God. And we, we spent a whole year rehearsing and learning songs phonetically in Russian. Uh, and so then we advertised it, you know, red, white, and blue, because the Russians were really, uh, they were amazed by anything American. So we, we raised the money, we went over there, and for the very first night, we rented the Yalta Opera House, beautiful building, seating 3,500 3, people. And the choir's up here on the gotta watch out for that platform. The choir's up there on the stands, and we've rehearsed, and everybody's ready. Two or three people are sitting out here, and it's getting closer and closer to the time it starts. And I'm looking at an empty room, and I just kind of got alone with the Lord and said, Lord, I've really missed you this time. I really thought this would work, and look, these people have spent all this money, invested all this time, and I'm sorry that I just missed you. And then one of the Russian pastors, Pavel, came huffing and puffing down one of the aisles, and says, Brother Dykas, that's what they call me, Brother Dykus, is. Brother Dykas, Brother Dykus, please, please, may we open the doors now. And well, I couldn't see, because we all came in kind of through the stage entrance at the back, that out in front of the Yalta Opera House, which is along the seaside there, people had been lined up for hours. And when he opened the doors, those people literally ran in until the place was packed. They were even sitting in the aisle. And so we sang our songs, and what just amazes me is that one of the songs that we sang was America the Beautiful. And when we started singing the chorus, these Russians started singing it with us. They knew the chorus of America the Beautiful, even though they had no you know, God-fearing leader or even had a national anthem that said anything about God, they knew that song. And then I preached that night through an interpreter. I only met the interpreter that day. Uh, she was from Odessa, an English school in Odessa, a sweet lady. And so I'm trying to keep it as simple as I can. I talked about the three crosses of Jesus. Uh, the cross of rejection where the one who says, if you can get a stand off the cross, do it. The other one who said, you know, if you are the son of God. And the other one said, hey, save himself. And he Lord, and do you remember me when you come into your kingdom. So there's a cross of rejection, or a cross of acceptance, repentance. And then there's a cross of redemption, what Jesus did on the cross. I tried to keep that as simple as I could because I'm using a translator. So I get to the end of the message. And I say, okay, anybody here that wants to invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to stand up. Everybody stood. All, I said, no, 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 sit down. sit Because down, I didn't think I explained it well enough. I said, Only stand if you know that tonight you're making a a statement of your faith in Jesus Christ and you want Jesus to come in your heart, forgive your sins, and go to heaven when you die. Now stand up. They just stood up. So I'm leading them in a sinner's prayer. And of course she's translating it. And I notice as I'm translating or saying that sinner's prayer, she's weeping came to find out that was the moment that she invited Christ into her heart too. The first time she was interpreting that sinner's prayer. God's invitation is to anyone. So if you're a servant, go tell. But if you're not, if you're watching on live stream or or watching this somewhere else, I just want to present to you as clearly as I can God's invitation to you. Dearest, put your name in there. You're cordially invited to come and enjoy the delicious banquet of my salvation. Serving will begin at my house and will continue for eternity. I love for you to come and get to know me personally and join my family. The feast is free for you because the cost has already been paid by my precious son, Jesus. You are receiving this invitation simply because I love you. Please join me and please come just as you are. Sincerely, God Almighty. And RSVP means reply, please. So if you've never done that before, you're watching here or you're in person, I'm going to lead you in a sinner's prayer. It's not a magic prayer, but it's a prayer that expresses faith. But all of you, just bow your head for a moment. Close your eyes, wherever you are, if you're watching on live stream also. Just repeat this prayer after me, but mean it sincerely from your heart. Dear God... I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I will never be good enough to earn heaven. So right now I turn from my sins and I place my faith in Jesus. I believe you, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins and God raised you from the dead. Right now, Jesus, come into my life and I will live for you forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you look up? If you're in this room and you pray that prayer, just a moment when we stand and sing this song, I'd like for you to come and tell one of the people, staff members that are here, what you did. But if you're watching on television somewhere, I just want you to contact this church, First Baptist Church NAC, over the website or app or something or call up here. Just let, let somebody know that you prayed that prayer. Let's stand together right now as we sing.